Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome back to the Survival Show. I'm producer Ben, of course. Thank you for tuning in to today's Manly Musings with Craig Cottle. Before we get into today's show, I want to personally thank our supporters over on Patreon and over on our new Anchor website. You guys are the grease in our wheels, so we thank you so, so much. We couldn't do this without you. All right, guys and gals, let's get into it right now. Hey there, this is Craig Cottle, director of Nature Reliance School co-host of this grand fine experiment that we're calling the survival show podcast man it's been fun so far doing this podcast i've really enjoyed it glad you're joining me for another manly musings here where i opine on thoughts of the day thoughts of the week i guess since it's once a week and well i don't know the last few weeks we've done a couple of two-parters so we'll see where this topic today carries us the reason i'm bringing this up is The topic is situational awareness, as you've probably guessed by the title. And I wanted to dive into this subject because there's been several instances where situational awareness could have helped people stay more safe and out of trouble and any number of things along those lines that have happened in the last week, the last week around me. And so I wanted to discuss them. Some of these are things that I've seen in the news one of the big ones was there was a huge riot that happened down in Memphis, Tennessee. I've got several friends that I have trained with and that I have trained that live in that area that had put some videos up on social media showing some of this rioting that occurred. It started off as a small fight, they ended up getting bigger and then bigger and then bigger. Another one was that made the rounds on social media was a, another fight that started off between two individuals, literally started out as a bump. You know, somebody accidentally bumped somebody at Disneyland, which grew into a fight among about six, seven people, it looked like. I didn't count them, but looked around six or seven people that got in an aggressive slapping, hitting, punching, elbowing, uh, physical altercation. Men hitting women, women hitting men, somebody getting knocked out of a wheelchair. It was just incredible uh, what happened in this particular situation. And some other things that have happened that around me that are just making it to the news. I don't need to rehash them all. But what kept coming up over and over and over again is what's happening to the people that are surrounding that event and why in the world did they not leave? And there's a lot of reasons for that. One of which is this herd mentality of humans. We have a tendency as a species of people to do what the largest number of people around us are doing. So if everybody stops and is staring at something, a lot of people that are in the area will stop and stare at that same something. Even if that is some physical altercation with guns. Until something comes up that wakes people up like a gun going off where people will typically disperse in that situation. 
most people just do what everybody's doing around them. So we've got to combat that. We've got to do something to get ourselves past that type of mindset. Situational awareness is the key to doing that. And when I say situational awareness, just being aware of what is going on around you. When you see situations arise, assessing them, determining what your action should be, and moving forward so that you can, if you're the type of person that needs to, like you're a first responder or you're just want to be a hero of some type, you want to engage in such a situation, you need to set yourself up for success, right? Secondarily, the best choice for most of us that are not first responders and don't have to respond to similar situations to what I've been describing is to leave. And it's easy to get hung up in that pattern of what everybody is doing and stay there. So I want to get into some of the data, some of the things that we need to consider so that we can help ourselves leave. Now, we've talked about some of these topics before, but usually I talk about them in relationship to active aggressor, active shooter training. And I've get, had the good fortune of getting some fantastic from the uh, training from the FBI who has mounds and mounds of data and mounds and mounds of video that we get to see um, because I'm an InfraGuard partner. And that is very beneficial to, to me as a trainer that helps corporate citizens and, and, and citizens and, and of the public to be more prepared for active aggressor. But these are all good for us, whether we're in a hunting situation, we might be in a hiking situation. This came up uh, recently with the young man that was killed on the Appalachian Trail while he was hiking by this dude that was running around with a knife. People did not have situational awareness and they had some things that are going to come up in this from this discussion. I want to point those out. Okay. The first is, again, understanding baseline versus disturbance. So any environment has a particular way that it appears. Uh, the easiest suggestion and demonstration of this that I, I love to share with people is just a concert. And, and a good friend of mine who is a security personnel for a large venue here in Kentucky was the first one that pointed this out to me. As he's watching a crowd of people, uh, you know, there might be 30,000 people in this crowd and they're moving to the rhythm of a certain music style, whether it's a rock concert or a country music concert or heavy metal or whatever, they all move to a certain beat. And that he as a security person recognizes when something changes from that rhythm. If there's a small section of people where that rhythm's not happening, that warrants his attention. Because that's probably where the fight's getting ready to happen. That's where somebody's bumped into each other, words are beginning to get exchanged, and and then he pays attention to that so he can engage or get people to the location so that people can can get engaged. The reason I bring that up is because human behavior works like this. And this is what happened on both the occasions of the videos I watched where these fights occurred, one at Disneyland and one down in Memphis, Tennessee, was that people, we as a species, for the most part, don't like to bring harm to other people in our species. And it's actually very true throughout the animal kingdom. One of the greatest examples of this that I've shared, I shared in martial arts training for years was the idea of two, for example, white-tailed deer. And when they're going to, when they're going to quote unquote fight, they smash antlers together. They push each other around. One of them gets pushed away because he's the weaker of the two bucks and then he goes on his merry way and the big buck that won he gets to breed the doe or whatever might happen 
here, here, when this was pointed out to me, this just kind of blew me away. This is a long time ago. When deer are going to fight to defend themselves, let's say a, a coyote is going to attack a deer for some reason, they don't fight with their antlers. They fight with their hooves. Even a buck is going to rear up on its hind legs and try to stomp to death whatever it is that's attacking them or bothering them. So it's almost like a symbolic type of fight where we crash antlers together. And the reason that species of animal does that is that they don't actually want to kill one another. They just want to demonstrate their propensity for strength and, and that they're the stronger of the suitors and then move forward. So the human species is no different than that. And the way we handle this is that we will posture more than anything else. And another analogy that works well for this is is uh, a roller coaster. I use this all the time teaching self-defense. So people's behavior acts like a roller coaster, meaning that you can think about yourself going up a roller coaster. You have the tick, 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 tick of the roller coaster going up. And right before the roller coaster goes over the hill, it comes to a momentary stop and or pause. And then it goes over the roller coaster hill and goes out of control and loops and all the things that it does very fast and quick and cool. And you raise your hands and scream like a little girl and all that stuff that goes along with it. Sorry, I didn't mean to mean that in a in a derogatory manner, but you know what I mean. Like a little boy, like a little girl, whatever you want to say. So with that said, what happens is that human behavior works the same way. People will, let's, let's say, for example, they bump into one another. They turn around. They don't immediately just, bam, hit somebody unless they're, you know, almost psychopathic or just mean-spirited or just violent type people. They'll turn around and they'll posture meaning they'll get in certain positions. They might bump a couple times. They might shove somebody a couple times. They might use some words, derogatory words or something of that nature. And then they'll engage in the physical altercation. There's a lot to that, and maybe I'll get into that too. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With all that said, when that posturing is happening, that's when you, as the observer, need to leave the scene. You need to immediately leave. I personally think that because of social media and because of the onslaught of videos where you can sit in the relative safety of your home and watch these types of things happen on the news on social media, wherever it might be, we are fast becoming conditioned to stand and watch such things. Now, I know some of you may be listening going, why in the heck do you watch that kind of stuff? Well, I personally watch it to study it so that I can recognize it and know this is when I need to leave. I watch this type of thing all the time, and maybe I'm a little bit twisted in the head for watching people fight all the time, but I do, uh, just to basically become better prepared myself so I can recognize that it's happening. That is monitoring the baseline. People at Disneyland, for example, are walking on the right side of the path, going to the next ride or the next whatever. I've never been to Disneyland, so I don't know what to, what's there. 
but they're walking this way, that way, and everybody has a certain behavior. And then you see a bump, and then you see people shoving and posturing and all the things that go along with it. That's when you need to exit. That is you simply doing nothing more than monitoring the baseline, paying attention to what's going on in your surroundings. And when you recognize that something is standing out from your surroundings, in this case, the posturing, then you leave. You get the heck out of Dodge. Now, another, um, it's what I call obstacles to understanding baseline is that happens here is what I refer to as normalcy bias. And it's just a common term, normalcy bias, where we as a species typically normalize behavior that we see around us and go, it's going to be okay. In this particular situation, two people bump, they're arguing, they're shoving. This is what normalcy bias will look like. I'm just going to keep walking right up behind them because this is where I intended to go. They're not actually going to get physical. Nobody's going to pull a gun or a knife or anything like that and so on and so forth. That's normalizing the situation where it actually could become much more aggressive than that. And the closer we get to it, the more danger we are in. That's normalcy bias. We normalize and say it's going to be okay. We should not do that. We should, again, recognize that something that outside the norm is happening and start to adjust our activity, what we're doing. The next part of this is to do what we can to avoid focus lock. Focus lock is where we do get so focused in on what is happening and what we're planning on doing that anything that adjusts our norm to what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, we just stay with it. And we just keep moving forward. And this is, this is what happened on the Appalachian Trail. David and I talked about this a few weeks ago on the Survival Show podcast briefly. But there are a lot of hikers that knew that there was this dude that was somewhat twisted, that had been aggressive towards some other hikers. The hikers that saw this person saw him coming, knew that he was a bit twisted, knew exactly who he was in relationship to the trail, knew that he was had been aggressive, possibly even with weapons. And they focused on the fact that, hey, we've got to camp here. We've got to stay here. We're going to hike from here to the next point. And they could not let it go. And so they therefore suffered the penalty by by staying and, and focusing on what it was that their task was when... When it came down to it, their priority should have been on their own safety and they should have removed themselves from the situation. Not armchair quarterbacking this person that lost their life. It's a terrible tragedy. I don't mean it that way at all. I just do know that if it was me that had been in that situation, I would want you to learn from my experience of death and how I died and help you so that you don't have to experience the same end result. And that's... That's it. We monitor the situation, the baseline, for example. We fight normalcy bias. We don't try to normalize, hey, this guy's coming down the trail and he's got a machete in his hand. We don't normalize that. That's really odd. We need to create distance in that situation. And we avoid focus lock. You know, even some people prior to this gentleman on the Appalachian Trail, and I, don't, I shouldn't use the word gentleman because he's a sick, twisted individual. People knew that he was out there and had been doing these things, and because they were afraid of reporting it to the police and then getting hung up in the legal proceedings and maybe having to appear in court, and due to that missing their hike, they did not report the guy. Those people should consider that their actions uh, contributed to this psychopath being able to do what he did. 
they're not to blame. The psychopath is to blame. This he he is definitely without a doubt the one that's sick and twisted. He's the one to blame for any uh, injury or death that occurred. But the other people recognized what was going on, and they were so focused on the hike that they did not let go of that, and therefore did not report it. So. <laughs> Another thing that comes up, and this is so hard, it's so hard to, this, to recognize that all these things are happening. And so what I started teaching, and, and what I'll do is, uh, it looks like this is going to be a new, another two-parter. I never know until I get going what this is going to be. So what I'll do today is I'll finish up today's part one with what I refer to as a critical rule of three. And then tomorrow we'll get into some other ways that we can avoid these type situations in part two. So to finalize part one today, it's, it's what I refer to as the critical rule of three. Now, I stole, completely stole this idea from a bunch of Marines that I had the opportunity to train many years ago. And uh, in, in the process of training those Marines, I was given some, um, how do I say that? I was given some information. And one of the pieces of information that came out of that, one small part of what I was given, was this idea of the combat rule of three. Okay, when I say the combat rule three is basically what they were teaching Marines at that time. Have no idea if they're still teaching. This is, you know, a decade ago maybe. Um, was this idea of if you recognize three anomalies on the battlefield, you've got to change what you're doing, or you're probably going to die. Basically, is what it come down to. You know, if you're if you're staying put, if you've run out of ammunition, and if you have lost communication with the team then you've got to change what you're doing because if you just sit there and do nothing, you're probably going to die. So considering that from a combat perspective there, but the way I adapted it to our use and survival was what I refer to simply as instead of the combat rule three, the, the critical rule three. Same exact thing is true for us is that what we're going to do is if we're in any sort of situation and we recognize recognize that there are three things that are outside the norm we must change what we're doing or at least very seriously stop and consider what's happening okay so th th another situation came up recently here where there was a um, try to say this as as best i can there's a situation with a local search and rescue team and and Upon discussion with members from that team and listening to and reading their after-action report, some, some things happened to one of the team members. And it seems, I'm not saying this is the absolute total answer, I'm just saying it seems as if one thing that could have helped the problem that they arrived at was just considering the critical rule of threes. Which is, hey, there were three anomalies that happened, three things that popped up. And instead of utilizing that as a, hey, let's stop and reconsider what we're doing. Do we have everything we need? Do we need something different? And adjusting accordingly, they went forward with what their original plan was, as best I can tell. And in so doing, um, somebody experienced some trouble from it, okay, some significant trouble from it. Now, I say all that because I don't know that the critical rule of three is the answer in that situation, but I know for sure that it wouldn't have hurt to go, okay, ooh, we got three things going on here that we need to fix. And if we don't fix them, something could come up. Something could be the same, but it, 
typically saying, okay, something could be the same, everything's going to be okay, that again goes back to normalcy bias. We just want to assume that everything's going to be okay when it's very difficult. And it would be difficult for me in any of these situations that we're describing to do the same thing that I'm telling you to do. And that's part of the reasons I'm telling you is to really tell myself at the same time, I need to listen to all of this as well. Because this critical rule of threes is just a simplistic, keep it simple, stupid, right? Simplistic, a very simplistic way of helping us to understand decision making uh, under critical situations. So that's it for today, part one. Uh, just, just as a recap, let's consider this. You want to be able to make sure that you understand the difference between baseline and stuff that stands out from the baseline. And some of the obstacles to doing that is not monitoring the baseline, normalcy bias, and, and control your focus. The way you can improve your situational awareness is to purposely put yourself and set yourself up to monitor the baseline all the time. Fight normalcy bias and to avoid focus lock. Okay, quit getting focused on your phone, quit getting focused on the height, quit getting focused on the end result of the mission instead of the preparation of the mission. Because we all want, let's say, a mission, whether it's a special forces mission, search and rescue, whether it's a law enforcement officer, or whether it's just uh, a person that has a mission of going to the mall and picking up some new shoes. Those are all missions, and we want the end result. And we can be so focused on the end result that we don't plan accordingly how we're going to get to that result, and we disregard everything in the middle between now and the end result. So again, uh, critical rule of three will help us with that tremendously. If you recognize three anomalies are happening or have happened, then you must at least change what you're doing or deeply stop and consider. Another way of doing this is to include other people. Hey, this, this, and this have happened. Should I do this? This, this, and this have happened. Should I do this? You involve somebody else, ask them, get other people's opinions so you can get outside of your own head. And that way you can be better at having better situational awareness through proper decision-making. So uh, check us out on part two. What we'll be going over in part two is what's commonly referred to as the OODA loop. i got a fantastic story for you to illustrate that. We're going to talk about paralysis by analysis. I've got a fantastic way that a special forces instructor uh, of mine, I wasn't in the special forces, but the gentleman who taught me this particular principle was in the special forces for uh, an entire career in the army. And then we're going to talk about a couple other items to help us with situational awareness. So thanks for joining us on part one. We'll see you on part two.